Hey everyone, this is Jason with Dare to Share Ministries. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Gospelize with Greg Steer. This month, Greg is taking us through our second episode in our series, How to Build a Gospel Advancing Ministry. This month, we take a look at relational evangelism drives it. Greg's going to talk us through what it means to pray for, care for, and share the gospel with our friends or strangers in a very relational way. As always, be sure to check out gregsteer.org for all of the e-resources that go along with the podcast, listening guide, discussion guide for you and your team, and a uh, transcript of Greg's notes so that you can teach this material yourself if you would like to. Without further ado, here's Greg Steer. Today I want to talk to you about relational evangelism. And when I think about relational evangelism, kind of my first encounter uh, into it was I was I was raised in this church that, you know, we did evangelism in the streets. We went out to local shopping malls. We shared the gospel. Uh, we used to do a thing every Friday night called Friday Night Soul Winning. And we would go out to the malls and we would share Christ with teenagers and I, I loved it. It was great. I still love going out and sharing the gospel with strangers, but I began to have a burden for my friends in my neighborhood. And my next door neighbor, his name was Mike. He had two brothers, and I began to share Christ with them. They didn't understand salvation by faith in Christ, and they began to understand it, put their faith in Christ, uh, shared Christ with the kid named Raymond, who was two doors down. Uh, next to Mike and his brothers, and he really hadn't, he didn't want to have anything to do with it. We were still buddies, but he just shut me down every time. Next to him was a kid named Benji. I know Benjamin, but he went by Benji. Uh, led him to Christ. Uh, across the street from him, there was Carl and Renee, a brother and sister. They both put their faith in Christ. On the backside of Benji's house was Vince. He trusted Christ, and we kind of had this unofficial neighborhood Bible study going on, and I remember just seeing uh, the power of relational evangelism. I mean, these were the uh, teens that, you know, we hung with. Right? We were neighborhood friends, and we, you know, we'd, you know, make um, jumps for our bikes. We would, you know, just play games. We'd do everything together. And so it just seemed natural to share Christ with them. And again, the ones that put their faith in Christ, we, I took them deep and, and tried to get them out to church, tried to get them growing in their faith. Actually, Vince trained him how to share his faith. He led another kid who was outside of our neighborhood named Rodney and discipled him. So we were literally making disciples who were making disciples in our neighborhood. And I saw as a middle schooler the power of relational evangelism, not just to make converts, but to really make disciples who can make disciples. And we're going to talk about that today, the power of relational uh, evangelism. And I, I want to say this, though, because I, I think sometimes we say, well, there's relational evangelism and there's cold turkey evangelism. What I've seen over the years is that you can uh, engage people that are strangers uh, personally and kind of build a bridge in a pretty short amount of time. I think there's this mentality that, man, it's going to take weeks or months or maybe years. And I think the opposite has, has been true. A lot of times those relationships that we wait on the longest to bring Jesus up, when we do bring him up, it seems awkward. Like, okay, why have you just bringing this up now? You've known me for a long time. And so I believe that we can start sharing Jesus right away. We can do it in a relational way. And in a sense, all evangelism can be relational. 
uh, if we care about people. I'm going to give you a process today uh, on really how to build a relational evangelistic mindset so that every conversation, every person you engage with can be engaged prayerfully uh, and relationally. So we're going to talk about that. We're kind of in in the beginning side of a series, a podcast series called How to Build a Gospel Advancing Ministry. How do you build a ministry that advances the gospel and makes and multiplies disciples? And if you remember a couple years back, we did a massive research project. We found seven values that were in every youth ministry that was seeing 25% new conversion growth or more per year. Uh, and the first value we already went over uh, last month, it was intercessory prayer fuels it. If you've not listened to that podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to it because the number one characteristic of a gospel advancing ministry, uh, youth ministry that was killing it when it came to growth, uh, the right kind of growth, new disciples made and multiplied, uh, where they were praying. Number two, relational evangelism drives it. Relational evangelism drives it. So what do we mean by that? Uh, We mean uh, teens reaching their sphere of influence with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is is relational evangelism? I've kind of come up with my own definition, all right, based on kind of some of the things I said earlier. It is sharing the gospel in the midst of an already existing relationship or building a relationship with the hopeful intent or prayerful intent of sharing the gospel. I'm going to repeat that. It is sharing the gospel in the midst of an already existing relationship. So somebody you already know, right? You're sharing Christ with them. Or building a relationship with the hopeful or prayerful intent of sharing the gospel. When you think about it this way, uh, it really is what Jesus did all the time. Uh, You look at the woman at the well. I mean, he didn't spend weeks or months or years, but he was super relational with the woman at the well. He he talked to her. A, a Jewish man talking to a Jewish woman in that culture, let alone a Samaritan woman, was unheard of. He broke through those barriers. He asked her for a drink of water. He valued her as a person. And within minutes, he's sharing the message of the gospel. It was relational. So I think we need to start reframing our mindset that all evangelism can be and should be relational. Because we want to build a relationship with the people that we're sharing the gospel with. Obviously, if you're doing proclamational evangelism from behind a pulpit, that's kind of a little bit different scenario. Hopefully, you're doing that in a caring way. But I'm talking about the people we engage with one-on-one. We can be very relational. Relational evangelism, it opens the door for effective discipleship because a relationship has been built. It also risks uh, social equity, especially for teenagers. So if teenagers begin to reach their circle of friends, they're risking their social equity, right? They're standing with their friends. That risk actually helps them grow uh, deeper in their faith. And it's also the key to exponential growth that we see in the book of Acts. A lot of times we think, well, the reason the early church grew so quickly is because you had guys like the Apostle Paul, you had Peter uh, preaching, you had Philip preaching, and they were preaching to these massive crowds and there was revival. And yes, they were preaching to massive crowds and there was revival, but really that was the tip of the iceberg. The iceberg itself were people reaching their circles of influence, their oikos, their household. Now you got to understand that Greek word oikos is where we get the word household. Uh, And it's not just people in your family in this culture. It was at least 8 to 15 others that were in your close circle of family, 
uh, friends, could be co-workers, but it was kind of your posse. It was your group. And so when somebody came to Christ, almost immediately they would reach out uh, to their household, their, their circle of influence with the gospel. And that's exactly what we want our teenagers to do. We want them to reach their family, their friends, their classmates, their teammates, their oikos. Again, just to make a little biblical um, case for this, Luke 8, 39, the demoniac, uh, Jesus told him to go return to your household uh, and describe the great things that Jesus had did, uh, had done for him when he, you know, kicked out the demons. Uh, Luke 19, 9, Zacchaeus was told that salvation had come to his whole household, his entire household, his whole group, his posse, his sphere of influence. John 4, 53, the centurion's whole household was saved following the healing of his son. We see it Acts 2 with Cornelius. Uh, when Peter arrived to preach the gospel, he had his he had his whole group, his whole household there. And in Acts 10, 24, when Peter arrived, uh, his close relatives and friends uh, heard that message of the gospel, and many put their faith in Christ. Uh, Luke describes how Crispus, leader of the synagogue at Corinth, believed in the Lord along with his entire household. We see in 1 Corinthians 1.16 that Paul baptized the household of Stephanus. We also see in Luke, uh, Acts 16.31 uh, when Paul tells the Philippian jailer, you know, believe in Christ, you will be saved and your whole household. He was so sure of relational evangelism. He knew when this jailer came to Christ that his family would come to Christ. This is a result of my, I mean, my, this is my Oikos story. Uh, Yankee, a preacher in the suburbs, reached out to reach my Uncle Jack. One by one, my entire household, my entire Oikos, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So how the early church really grew was... Um, Christians, new believers, reaching their sphere of influence. And then, uh, then all those in those spheres of influence would reach their sphere of influence, and it would multiply out, and it all really is based in relational evangelism. If you want to see your youth group grow, you got to get your teenagers engaged, equipped, for relational evangelism. You got to get them excited about it. You got to keep banging that gospel drum. You got to you got to cherish those stories that they share and you got to put them up front and you got to we got to hear these stories of kids reaching their their teammates and their classmates and their friends and they have to be equipped to do that. They have to be trained how to do that. So, how do we do that? How do we help them do that? Well, the Lord's word uh, gives us uh, a great pattern for relational evangelism in Colossians 4 2 through 6, Colossians 4, 2 through 6, where Paul writes to the Colossian believers, who, by the way, just so I make this clear, were reached through relational evangelism. So Paul trains Epaphras, most likely at the school of Tyrannus. Epaphras goes back to his own town of Colossae, plants a church, right? People start reaching people as a result of that, and so it just begins to multiply out. I mean, literally, the church of Colossae was a result of, of relational evangelism, and Paul is telling them, hey, listen, here's how you keep the party going. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I love this passage because in it really are the three keys to relational evangelism driving it in the context of our youth ministry. Uh, it's just three words, uh, pray, care, share, or prayer, care, 
share. When we get our students to pray for the lost, pray for their oikos, right? Pray for their friends, care for them, and share the gospel with them, uh, and then make new friends as well. Build those those relationships along the way with the hopeful intent of sharing the gospel with them. Uh, it begins to multiply out. So let's start with the first. Pray. Pray. Again, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. I love this. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful. Are you praying in a watchful way? Are you equipping your teenagers to pray in a watchful way? That word watchful uh, was a significant word uh, to the men and women of Scripture because it harks back to Ezekiel 33, 1 through 11, where the Lord calls Ezekiel the watchman, the watchman on the wall. He said, when you see the enemy approaching, if you don't blow that trumpet and the city gets invaded, you can have blood. they're going to die for their own sin, but you're going to have blood on your hands. So I want you to blow that trumpet. It's, it's an analogy in the New Testament. Paul uses it in Acts 20 as an analogy for evangelism that we're watchmen on the wall, right? That we got to blow the trumpet of the gospel. And we have, to, we have to pray in a watchful way. What do I mean by that? We are looking for those opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are watching for those opportunities. We are looking for those opportunities. And when I think of this, I can't help but think of my friend, Dave Gibson. Dave Gibson is a man of God. He loves the Lord, uh, and he is a watchman on the wall. Uh, he's a missions pastor uh, up at Grace Church at Eden Prairie, but he is the best relational evangelist I have ever seen in my life. You go to a restaurant, he, he watches. He looks for those opportunities. He prays every day, Lord, one more sheep. Just give me one more sheep today. Give me one opportunity every day. To share the gospel. Matter of fact, it was so convicting. I just was with him uh, two days ago. It was so convicting that yesterday I called him up. And I said, you know what? I'm going to start praying for that opportunity every single day. Lord, would you give me one, at least one opportunity today to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yesterday we had a couple different opportunities to do that. Um, but I'm praying that today. Lord, I prayed it this morning. Lord, give me that opportunity. Help me open my eyes. Help me to become watchful. What if, what if, what if you took that, that, that prayer seriously. What if your teenagers did that? They begin to pray in a watchful way for the lost. I remember I was with uh, Dave uh, Gibson at a restaurant, and our server, her name was Sandra, and we just began a conversation with Sandra, and she was totally, totally uh, open uh, to to the gospel. We began uh, to pray for that opportunity, uh, began a conversation. Uh, asked her how she would describe her life in six words. We were using the Life in Six Words app. She literally began to weep, had to go back and collect herself. She came back. We were able to share Christ with her. She put her faith in Christ. It was really cool because Dave and I came back uh, six months later to that same restaurant. We asked the server, hey, where is Sandra? She goes, oh, she's off today. And we took her through the Life in Six Words app. She goes, oh, no, no, Sandra's already shown me that. So Sandra uh, had already began to share the gospel, was plugged into a church. Uh, and this is, again, it was very relational. We spent, you know, several minutes talking to Sandra up front, you know, asking how we could pray, you know, talking to her about her life. And then we asked her about the six words, and then it just opened up. Uh, just like Jesus with the woman at the well, we want to be relational in how we share the gospel. Again, sharing Christ in the midst of already existing relationships or and uh, beginning relationships with a hopeful or prayerful intent of begin, you know, sharing that gospel as well. So 
We need to pray. We need to pray for opportunities. We need to pray uh, that God will uh, provide us with the wisdom to be as clear as possible as we share the gospel, as clear as possible. Paul says in Colossians 4.4, he's not just praying for opportunities. He's like, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And, you know, Napoleon had three directives for his messengers. Number one was, be clear. Number two was, be clear. Number three was, you guessed it, be clear. Uh, Paul is telling us, be clear, be clear, be clear. And how do you do that? How do you do that when you're sharing the gospel? You know, I think it comes down to an illustration I heard a preacher once use of a ladder and a cross. Every approach to sharing the gospel, it's either a ladder or it's a cross. The latter is what you got to do, you know, and you, you'll hear it in Mormonism. You know, you got to, the doctrine of the covenants, and, and you got to go door to door, and you got to be obedient, and you, you'll hear it in other world, relig, world religions, in Hinduism or Islam. They have the, you know, the five pillars of Islam, and there's always some sort of ladder you got to climb, thing you have to do. Religion is climbing that ladder. What Christianity is not what we do, it's what Jesus has done. Christianity, true Christianity, is not a ladder. It's, it's a cross. And sometimes when I hear people give the gospel that are Christians, it sounds more like a ladder. Well, you have to, you know, you have to turn from all your sin. You've got to make Jesus Lord of every area of your life. You've got you know, you got, you got to stop sinning. You've got to start growing. And, oh, yeah, you've got to believe in Jesus, too. I'm like, well, I'm glad you threw the cross in. That's, that's nice. It, our gospel can't be the turn, try, or cry gospel. It's got to be the believe and receive. We put our faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross. And then, of course, we joyfully surrender to him. We, he begins to turn us from our sin, and that's a lifelong process. And we learn what it means to walk under the kingship of Christ. But as soon as you make all that stuff prerequisite, it becomes the latter and not the cross. So we've got to be careful how we present the gospel. That's why Paul said, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, because I think he knew down deep inside, it's in our tendency, our human nature, to want to add and turn this, what Jesus, turn the cross into a ladder in some way. So we need to be clear, we need to be clear, we need to be clear. We need to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. We need to pray for clarity as we share the gospel. We need to be watchmen on the wall. We need to pray with our eyes open for those opportunities all around us. We need to help our students do the same. All right, pray. Secondly, care. Look what Paul writes. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Man, this is so not me. <laughs> I mean, just naturally. I mean, I just want to get to the gospel. Hey, how you doing? You know? Let me tell you about Jesus. I thank God that uh, I, 29 years ago, met a girl. Uh, actually, it was 30, 33 years ago I met her. Uh, 29 years ago, I, I married her. And when I saw Debbie interact with people, uh, I was blown away because she genuinely cared for people. I remember... I remember going up to her and talking to her, and she goes, how are you doing? I go, I'm doing fine. She goes, no, how are you really doing? I'm not doing good at all. And I would just, I would just, she cared. She did that with everybody. She cared for people. And I remember when we went to do Gospel Journey Maui, we did this reality series with all these different worldviews. And she goes, now, Greg, I know you're going to want to preach to them all. You'll get to that. But remember, build relationships. Pray for them. Listen to them. Don't just pretend like you're listening. Don't just nod your head. She knows me. 
Listen, actually listen to them and care for them. And God will give you those opportunities. And boy, I just remember, boy, I'm so glad she gave me that advice. She continually reminds me of that, um, that advice, because I continually need it. But I remember Rachel, she was a girl in Gospel Journey Maui. She had, she believed that God was a black woman to bake cookies. I'm like, where did you get that view? Uh, and this was before The Shack was written. So she's like, well, you know, my parents used to make me go to church and instead of going into the youth room because the youth leader never never talked to me. They, I, When I asked questions about hell, because how could a loving God send people to hell? He would just shut me down. So I went into the bathroom and I locked the door and 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 I just developed my own theology of of God and and I remember watching the movie The Matrix, you know, and and uh, the Oracle, who was a black woman of bacon cookies, and and I thought, oh, that'll be my God. And she she had this whole theology developed because a youth leader had kind of shut her down and wouldn't let her ask honest questions. Which man, but God used that that praying for her, caring for her. I remember it was a boat trip to Molokai, the leper colony, where she just opened up. And she just shared her story. And she became open, really, for the first time to the gospel message. Uh, and, man, it was this caring that broke those strategies, uh, broke the, those walls down. So we need to care. We need to be strategic in how we care for them. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. How do we do that? Well, there's several ways we can do that. We need to take care of people's physical needs. I mean, if somebody's hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, Give them, give them some water. If they need clothes, you know, James says, man, don't, don't, be, don't say you have an activated faith if somebody, you know, is freezing to death and you're not willing to give them a coat or a blanket, right? We need to help other people. We need to serve people's physical uh, needs. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, boy, his heart was broken all over the poverty from all over London. I love this quote from him. While women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While little children go hungry as they do now, I'll fight. While men go to prison in and out, in and out, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a poor lost girl upon the streets, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. Oh yeah, he did too. I love that. We need to fight to take care of people's physical needs. Take care of emotional needs. You know, sometimes it's not the physical need. Sometimes it's more of an emotional need. Uh, I think listening to people is a powerful way uh, to care for them, uh, to really genuinely listen to people. One of the seven, um, if you look at Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, one of those habits is seek first to understand, then to be understood. And he talks about listening and seeking to understand uh, as being one of the deepest needs of the human soul is for people to be under. Stood. He tells a story uh, in this book of he was on a train in New York City and there was a, a father that came in with a bunch of um, his kids early on a Sunday morning. It was pretty quiet on the train and they were disruptive and they were running around and, and Covey was getting irritated because this guy was just clueless as these kids are just you know yelling and screaming. And finally he looks at the guy and he goes, hey, do you think you can get your kids under control? And a guy snapped out of a trance, and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. He said, uh, they, we just left the hospital. They, their mother just died, and I don't think they know how to respond, and I don't either. And Covey goes, man, you know, I switched hats at that point, you know, from angry pa you know, passenger to counselor, right? Because we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on in people's lives behind the rage, behind the, 
you know, facade what is happening there. We need to we need to care about people. Taking care of spiritual needs. You know, we saw this at Lead the Cause this last summer because one of the questions we 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 tried out this summer was, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? And as we unleash students uh, at the Dream Center, uh, also the streets, you know, to, to engage people in conversations, it was interesting. In uh, eight years or so of doing Lead the Cause, we've never had a question that was more powerful than, is there a way I can pray for you? Uh, we found even sometimes atheists would say, well, I don't believe in God, but yeah, would you please pray for me? Because they sense that spiritual need down deep in their soul. And, and by the way, just as a quick, you know, hey, this, this could help your kids begin to share their faith right away. Equip them to ask their friends, hey, how can I pray for you? Because it does a couple of things. Number one, it, it opens a conversation. Number two, it, it lets their friends know, hey, I'm a Christian. You know, I have a connection with God, and I want you to have that connection as well. And it begins that natural conversation. I think of uh, Emily She's a barista at the Starbucks I often go to. And I just asked her, I go, hey, you know, is there, I want to, you guys do a great job serving coffee. I'd love to serve you guys in some way. I can pray. I'm a preacher. I'm a Christian. You know, that's what, what we do. Is there any way I can pray for you? And she said, yeah, can you, can you pray for, um, you know, this certain situation that she had going on? And I remember two weeks later, she came up to me. She goes, oh, I forgot to tell you. God answered that prayer, right? And, and. And thank you so much for praying. And all of a sudden, man, we're in a spiritual conversation uh, because she sees the power of prayer. So this is a simple, simple way to take care of people's uh, spiritual needs. So be strategic and also be gracious in how you reach out to them. Let your conversation uh, be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. And we've, we've talked about this, but let's be full of grace. Let's um, love people. Uh, sometimes people will rage. Uh, at Christians, we need to we need to respond in love. You know, uh, if they persecute us, we we train our teenagers to sp- speak back softly and, and with the love of Christ. So the three: pray, care, and finally share, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So that you may know how to answer everyone. Do your students know how to answer everyone? Do they know the answer? Right? Do they know the gospel? A couple things. In this passage, gospel fluency is assumed here. Gospel fluency, that you may know how to answer everyone. Your teens knowing how to answer everyone is crucial. I remember once I was at a uh, an evangelism training event where they actually didn't do training. Uh, and we were kind of called to take the kids out to do the outreach. When he came back, this girl, she wanted to give her testimony. She's like, I don't know, I was going out there. And I didn't know what to say because I didn't really train us what to say. And I talked to this atheist and he started arguing. And I just put my fingers in my ears and started going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, man, you're trying so hard. I felt I didn't want to, you know, cry. She didn't, she didn't know. She wasn't trained what to do. We don't want our kids to do that, right? We want them to be able to have gospel fluency. It's what I call the microphone test. Put the microphone in the face of your teenagers would they be able to clearly articulate the gospel. And again, uh, if you've been around Dare to Share, you know this, but we use a gospel acrostic to really help with gospel fluency. It's G-O-S-P-E-L. Uh, God created us to be with him. Our sins separate us from God. 
right? So we start with Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3, our sins separate us from God. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. We see this from Genesis 4 through Malachi 4, right? Uh, all the, the blood, sweat, and tears of the Old Testament, the blood of the sacrifices, the sweat of trying to obey 613 Old Testament commands, the tears of contrition when you can't, you know, they, they, all those good deeds could never erase the stain of sin. So paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. It's not a matter of trying. It's a matter of trusting. Remember, it's not the ladder. It's the cross. And L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. We see that from Acts through the book of Revelation. So it's the whole story of the Bible unpacked in six simple sentences that spell out gospel, the first word of each, God, our sins, paying everyone life. If you've not seen the Life in Six Words video with propaganda, check it out. It's got uh, some. It's got all this in a, articulated in a really cool form. Two things. Have your kids memorize it so they know what to share. Uh, two, um, make sure that uh, you know for sure that you're going to go to heaven, that you know for sure you have a relationship with Christ. If you've not put your faith in Jesus right now, watching this, trust in Jesus. Because before you train students to share the gospel, it's good to know and embrace that gospel if you've never done that. Uh, and a couple things. Gospel fluency is assumed. Secondly, words are assumed. You know, it's what we tell kids. Use your words, right? Little kids, use your words. We have to use our words uh, when sharing the gospel. When we pray, we use our words to God. When we care, we're showing that kind of that physical demonstration of the gospel. And when we share, we're using words. Uh, I don't know how God infused divine power into a stick, a stick that Moses used to open up the Red Sea. I don't know how God infused divine power into a message, a message that God uses to open up dead hearts. And I know we've all heard that quote uh, attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, and I say that because not everybody is convinced that he said this, but according to the legend, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. Looks great on a bumper sticker. It really is not biblical, right? Uh, what I would say is preach the gospel, it's necessary, use words. Let's modify that a bit, right? Um and I want you to think about that. It's, it's not either or. It's both end. We pray, we care, and we share. Uh, but it's always necessary to use words because it's the power of the gospel that transforms lives. So how do we begin this a practical way to really put this, this prayer, care, share philosophy into our youth ministry? We have a thing that we call the cause circle. It's prayer, care, share. And uh, we're going to have it on our updated Life in Six Words app, actually, which should be available right now, where students can put the names of their friends uh, and they begin to pray for them, care for them, share the gospel with them. It'll send them push notifications. It'll be a simple way uh, for them to kind of, you know, remember and be watchful and prayerful and to care for their friends and to share the gospel with their friends. As a matter of fact, you as a youth leader can have a group. You can have your students in a group where you keep each other accountable. They can have some groups as well. And it can be a team sport. But together, we are living out the cause. We're praying. We're caring. We're sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I think of the power of this. Again, I, I go back a few years ago to a Starbucks that I would go to uh, every day. And every day I would see Riley. And I would pray for Riley. I'd pray for an opportunity to share Christ. 
And I would always try to be encouraging. She'd always call me preacher man. What's up, preacher man? I'm like, what's up, Riley? And uh, But there was always a line. So it was really hard to get into a gospel um, conversation when people want their lattes, right? So I just prayed, Lord, open this door. And I remember uh, one day I walked up. I've been praying. I've been caring. And ordered my drink. She goes, I got a question for you, preacher man. And she was serious this time. I go, what? She said, my aunt just died of a brain aneurysm. How does your God explain that? Long line of people. I'm like, okay, when's your break? She takes a break. We sit down, we talk, and she breaks down. I use my words, I explain the gospel. She put her faith in Christ there. Um, I had the privilege of baptizing her, connecting her with my old church, the church I used to pastor. They still go there, they're growing. She became the 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 priest of that Starbucks. She became the one. She began to share the gospel with the other. I didn't have to after that because she was sharing Christ with everyone. And I knew she was way out of bounds with, with the Starbucks, you know, code. But she didn't care. She was so full of excitement. And she was praying. She was caring. She was sharing. Let's see that same excitement. Uh, just envelop our youth ministries. Relational evangelism drives it. Teenagers reaching their peers, their oikos, their sphere of influence. How do they do that? They pray. They're watchful. They, they pray with a, with a watchfulness. They're the watchman on the wall. Uh, they care. They listen. They take, take care of physical needs, uh, emotional needs, spiritual needs, and they share. They use their words. They speak the gospel, which means you've equipped them to know the gospel. And again, with the new Life in Six Words app, it's going to be really easy. And I think a lot of fun for us to do this together. Relational evangelism drives it. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for every youth leader uh, watching or listening to this podcast. Lord, would you encourage them um, to um, really equip their students to pray, to care, and to share. And I pray for these youth leaders, Lord, that they would set the pace for that in their own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks. Thanks so much, Greg. Those were great words of encouragement as we process through relational evangelism, not just with people we're friends with, but strangers. Relational evangelism really has to do with how we share the gospel. And so thank you so much for that, everyone. Again, my name is Jason. This is my friend, Carrie Evans, and we're excited to bring you the takeaways, tips, and tools from this episode of Gospelized with Greg Steer. Uh, this episode, based on what Greg shared, we're really just focusing on one thing. We're focusing on the new Life in Six Words app that has just recently dropped. And if you haven't downloaded it and checked it out, you are missing out. Yeah, I am so jazzed up about this new version of the app. You guys definitely got to check it out. Download it. It has such a cool look to it, real modern and clean. It's going to be super helpful when Very we're engaging helpful. with people about the gospel and having those great conversations. So first thing that's going to happen, you're going to log in to the new version of the app after you've updated it, if you have it already, and it's going to ask you to set up a profile. So set that up. And one of the greatest features of this new app is that you get to put in your own words, and it saves them for you. So every time you're having 
having a conversation with someone, not only are they sharing their six words, you get to share with them what your six words are. That's right. Which is so cool because it really makes it more conversational, you know, which is really the goal. You hear from them, you get to share your story, why you chose those six words, similarities, differences, but it does, it sets up for a gospel conversation going in to the life in six words. Yeah, it's so awesome because ultimately, obviously, you guys know that's the point. It's not just to show them an app. It's to have a conversation about God, right? And so then once you go into the app, you can start a conversation. There's a button right from the home screen, start a conversation. Then it's going to guide you through each of those letters that we use in our acrostic, G-O-S-P-E-L. So we'll start with G. God created us to be with him, obviously, right? It's great. Yeah, I got that down. That's pretty awesome, right? right? (laughs) So great. And then depending on the situation or the person you're talking to, you may want to show them a verse that kind of supports that statement. And so the bottom of the screen, there's a little icon, looks like a book, and you hit that and it brings up a verse that just really enforces that statement. So you can just continue to proceed through all those letters, the G-O-S-P-E-L, get all the way through, hopefully, again, in a conversational way, right? right. And then when you get to the end, it has a little screen that asks them what decision they want to make based on that information. Are they ready to trust in Christ or they're not ready to? And either way is fine, but it just prompts them to make a decision, which Absolutely. is really cool. Yeah, and one of the things I really love about this new app is that, the new version of the app, I right. should say, is that it allows them whether they decide, yeah, want to accept Christ right here on the spot or not, either way, there's a follow-up piece where Absolutely. it sends them their words through an email with the verses in the Bible that kind of like talk about those words. And hey, maybe there's a bigger connection that you already have with God that you don't even realize right. maybe and kind of can point them to continuing to yeah, look it, into it's it. It's a cool follow to the conversation because it does meet them where they're at with the six words they chose, but it brings that biblical worldview into their life. So whether they just put their faith and trust in Christ, it's a first step of discipleship. If they're yeah. still struggling through that, it gives them a biblical perspective to think about the things that they've already said are important to them, which is so cool. And allows them to like follow up, right? Like if you've had that oh, conversation, yeah. you can just go ahead, follow up with that person. It's going to be awesome way totally. to keep it going. And, and speaking yeah. of following up with, with those people, one of the great things about the app that I love is the cause circle functionality. So when you're in the app, you can click on the the menu button and you click cause circle. And this literally brings up a screen that shows you your cause circle. It lets you know how many people are in that cause circle, Uh, but you can click on it and you can add people yourself and indicate obviously who they are, but are you praying for them, caring for them, or committed to sharing the gospel with them. You can set up prayer reminders so, so that you awesome. can go throughout your day and get oh. a reminder to pray for your cause circle. When you're in there, you can just click a button, press to pray. Uh, but it's just a cool functionality yeah. that helps you be accountable in a lot of ways to yourself of, oh, of who so are the cool. people in my life that I want to share the gospel with. Yeah. Another cool feature. Are you guys getting this? This, app this is, is cool. It's amazing. <laughs> Another cool feature, again, go to the menu, and then you can go into groups. And you can either create yeah. a group or join a group. And this is where like the cause circle and the groups come together. Because when you create a group, say for your student ministry, you're going to have all of your kids come in. When you create a group, you can name it. And then it gives you a six-digit code that you give to your students. They would click join a group and enter that six-digit code. But then in the group setting, it compiles each individual cause circle into one cause circle. So, so as a youth so group, great. you'll know, hey, in all, oh, all of so our powerful. cause circles, we've got like Ugh. 85 kids in our cause circle. And we can see how many of those we're praying for, caring for, sharing. There's an activity wall that lets you know when your kids are praying for or sharing the gospel. So it's a great discipleship tool now for a youth leader or a small group leader to keep your kids accountable in what's going on. So yeah, like Carrie said, between the the life in six words and going through the GOSPL, the cause circle functionality, the group functionality, 
this is this yes is revolutionary. It is. It's an amazing <laughs> faith sharing tool, but it's also for for youth pastors. This can be an incredible discipleship tool Absolutely. for how you lead your yep. youth group, how you encourage your students. Get a pulse um, on exactly where they are. It's just, yeah. it's absolutely amazing. So, cool. so please, if you haven't already, make sure you download the Life in Six Words app through the App Store or through Google Play. Um, you can also go to li6w.com. There's a whole website built off the same look uh, that gives you even more resources and videos to support the app. So uh, we're excited for it and we're praying for you all as you use the new Life in Six words app. Yeah, absolutely. Leaders, we love you. Just keep doing what you're doing. Use this app for everything that it's worth because we truly believe it's going to be incredible just movement for you and your group until every teen hears the gospel from the friend.